From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Wade Menezes. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Tuesday to each and every one of you. We hope you're having a good start to the new year. And I uh, hope you're continuing to enjoy the Christmas season. We're outside of the octave, but we are still in the Christmas season. So Merry Christmas to each and every one of you. If you would like to be part of the program today, um, give us a call. Our toll-free number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833 833- 2883986 if you're outside the United States and Canada your number is 1205-271-2985 and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1205-271-2985 and you can always send us an email that email address is openline at ewtn.com I'm Jack Williams. Charles Beery is our celebrity producer today, back from a couple weeks back home in Jersey. And uh, Matt Gubensky, who hasn't gone anywhere, he's been here the whole time. He is screening your telephone calls. And Jeff Burson, magnificent person, is taking care of our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host is he is every Tuesday, our very favorite, Father of Mercy, Father Wade Menezes. How are you? I'm doing great, Jack, and Happy New Year to you and Johnette and all of our team there at Open Line Tuesday and everybody at EWTN. I'm looking forward to being there all next week from Monday the 8th through Saturday the 13th, filling in for the Franciscan Friars while they are 45 minutes north doing their annual canonical retreat at the Shrine of the Most Blessed Sacrament. So I look forward to filling in for those six days coming up here. Been working on my homilies this week. I think I'm going to make it like a little mini retreat, those six homilies. Those oh, six uh, televised masses in, in a row there. So I'm hoping the, the people will tune in and uh, get a little retreat on the healing power of Jesus that immediately follows his baptism, which inaugurates his three years of public ministry, and what that says about our own baptism and our own healing. So I'm really looking forward to it. So we have a tendency as human critters to uh, <laughs> make note of time, and when uh, milestones roll around like the beginning of a new year, we have a tendency to reflect on what we've done well, what we've done poorly, and how we might do the poorly things bettery. That's exactly than, uh, right. Anything, and you want to talk a little bit about uh, what we might want to take into account when we consider making resolutions. Exactly, and what is that? Making our resolutions with Mary as the perfect disciple of Christ, his holy mother. And yesterday we just celebrated the great solemnity of Mary, mother of God. Uh, congratulations, by the way, to Father of Mercy, fully professed brother, Zachary Feldker. Brother Zachary professed his perpetual vows yesterday. His family was here. We had a beautiful Mass on the solemnity of Mary, mother of God, so congratulations to him. Uh, it is that time of year again, Jack, when self-imposed New Year's resolutions make us hopeful of living better Christian lives, both spiritually and bodily, for the next 12 months, right? We've all heard it or promised it 
it to ourselves before to make more time for such things as daily prayer and spiritual reading, maybe a weekday mass or two, uh, to eat in more healthy ways, or to take on an exercise program and remain faithful to it. The list could go on and on, right? Well, to be successful in these spiritual and temporal resolutions, uh, something is required, and that is a Christian's prayerfulness, fidelity, energy, and detachment from sin. Four components that the mother of God modeled throughout her life. Again, prayerfulness, fidelity, energy, and detachment. So as we embark upon a new year, we do well to look at Mary, the perfect Christian disciple, to aid us as we start another year of life and to ask God's blessing upon it. So what am I asking our Open Line Tuesday live listeners uh, to call in today about? Well, I'd like you to call in and give a witness about what is your resolution or resolutions in the plural for 2024, but especially the spiritual ones. Is it to take on confession faithfully once a month? Is it to maybe take on a weekday Mass or two, according to your work schedule? Is it to start going back to Sunday Mass, something that maybe you've been a little lax on in the past? What is it? Give us a call about your resolutions in general for 2024, but especially those spiritual resolutions. And again, we're going to look at Mary's fidelity, her prayerfulness, her energy, and her detachment from sin as our guide. So as the perfect disciple of Christ, Jack, Mary is the example of mature Christian living of harmonizing both the spiritual and the temporal demands of daily living. In order that we too may mature as Christians, we should look to imitate our Blessed Mother's prayerfulness, fidelity, energy, and sinlessness as we strive to live rightly and virtually as Christians in the midst of the modern world, as Vatican II called us to do. So let's look at each of these four components or these four elements in Mary's life. Number one, her prayerfulness. Yesterday I said we celebrated the great solemnity of Mary, Mother of God, as the Theotokos, Greek for Mother of God, God-bearer, Christ-bearer, a title proclaimed dogmatically by the Council of Ephesus in 431. Mary derives this title from her divine maternity as the mother of Jesus Christ, the incarnate God-man. He is a divine person, that is, the second person of the Most Holy Trinity, with two natures, human and divine. Jesus is God, and Mary is his mother. She is the God-bearer, the Theotokos. Mary's prayerfulness is linked with her divine maternity. Lumen Gentium, the Second Vatican Council's dogmatic constitution on the Church, states that after her son's ascension, Mary aided the beginnings of the Church by her prayers. How beautiful is that? In her association with the apostles and the other holy women, we also see Mary by her prayers imploring the gift of the Holy Spirit, who had already overshadowed her at the Annunciation when she conceived Christ. Mary's prayerfulness, the first of these four elements that we're asking her to aid us in, uh, her prayerfulness, Jack, and role in the church's beginnings are inseparable from her union with Christ, and in fact, flows directly from it. Since Christ established the church, he is the head and we are the members. The Catechism teaches that from the Church, the Christian learns the example of holiness and recognizes its model and source in the all-holy Virgin Mary. The second component, Mary's fidelity. I love this one. To discuss Mary's fidelity is to discuss Mary's faith. The word fidelity is derived from the Latin fides, meaning faith, or fidelis, meaning faithful. Mary was a woman of great faith. She was alone at prayer, for example, when the archangel Gabriel appeared to her at the Annunciation, at our Lord's sacred incarnation, yet she remained steadfast in her faith. Christians should remind themselves that only a strong faith can embrace fully the mysterious ways of God's almighty power, and that such faith glorifies in human weakness in order to draw to itself the power of Christ. 
The Virgin Mary is the supreme model of this faith, Jack, for she believed that nothing will be impossible with God and was able to magnify the Lord. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, she said, and holy is his name, to quote Luke chapter 1. Mary's fidelity is rooted in the fact that she constantly united her will to the will of God. This truth is witnessed to during the more tumultuous times of Christ's own life. Now get this, for example... We see Mary's fidelity or faithfulness in the will of God, following the will of God, in the person of Caesar Augustus, who made her travel to Bethlehem with St. Joseph during her pregnancy for the census. She saw the will of God also in the person of Herod, who made her flee to Egypt with St. Joseph and the Christ child. She saw the will of God in the person of Pontius Pilate, who condemned her son to death. And she saw the will of God in the executioners and soldiers who crucified her son. Number three, Mary's energy. I kind of love this one too. Mary's energy is given witness to in her apostolic zeal and fervor, which is made evident immediately following the Annunciation when she proceeds in haste, quote, unquote, through the hill country to a town of Judah to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who is pregnant with John the Baptist. Although hidden, Mary also remains active in following her son throughout his public life. She intercedes for the newly wedded couple at Cana and is referred to by Jesus as one who is faithful to his teachings beyond the ties of mere blood relations. Mary's energy may be said to be most active even today as she stands as an intercessor before God through the one only mediation of her divine son. This is why Mary is invoked in the church under the titles of advocate, helper, benefactress, and mediatrix. Now, before we dig into the last one, uh, Mary's sinlessness, because we've got just a couple, a couple of moments here before the break, and I'll finish up the last one, Mary's sinlessness, and how that's a model for us in our resolutions when we come back from the break. I want to stress that I'd love for our Open Line Tuesday live listeners uh, this hour, either on the radio, or maybe you're watching live on YouTube or on Facebook, uh, watching the show uh, on either of those two platforms. Give us a call. Tell us what your resolutions are, but I'm looking especially for what your spiritual resolutions are for 2024, huh? And how Mary's prayerfulness, fidelity, energy, and detachment from sin, her perfect sinlessness, in fact, can aid us uh, in our own resolutions that we make for this 2024 year. Again, those four elements or components, Jack, or her prayerfulness, her fidelity, and her energy. These first three I've already talked about. When we come back from the break, I will talk about Mary's sinlessness, which translates for us as detachment from sin, because we're not immaculately conceived like her. We can say she's perfectly sinless, and thus by that fact was, of course, detached from sin. But we are sinful creatures, okay? But yet we can work on being detached from sin. And I think that's something that needs to be taken into account here as we look at this fourth component, Mary's sinlessness. So again, her prayerfulness, her fidelity, her energy, and her detachment, the last component, which we will uh, talk about when we come back, her sinlessness and how that means detachment from sin for each one of us. It's EWTN's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or 
send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. Do not miss the latest political and cultural reporting and analysis on topics of interest to Catholics and people of faith on The World Over with Raymond Arroyo. And you can get news from The World Over in your email box every week. Just sign up today by visiting EWTN.com and click on subscribe. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. What's your New Year's resolution? 833-288-3986. Father Wade, you are uh, wrapping up your profile of our Blessed Mother. Yeah, that's right. Her fourth element or component to aid us in our New Year's resolutions, Jack, is her sinlessness, which translates to us as our detachment from sin, right? So, like her intercession, Mary's sinlessness is tied to the merits of her divine Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a doctrine that all persons should find great comfort in. In 1854, Pope Pius IX solemnly defined the dogma of the Immaculate Conception, which stated that the Most Blessed Virgin Mary, in the first instant of her conception, by a singular grace and privilege granted by Almighty God, in view of the merits of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the human race, was preserved free from all stain of original sin. According to this doctrine, Mary was conceived in the state of perfect justice, just as Adam and Eve were created, free from original sin and all its consequences and penalties in virtue of the redemption won by Jesus Christ on the cross. So Mary, like us, Jack, had to be redeemed, no doubt, but whereby the rest of humanity benefits from the cross after the cross takes place. It may be said that Mary benefited from the cross before the cross took place, right? The Catechism, quoting both Ephabalis Deus and the Council of Trent, held from 1545 to 1563, states that Mary is the new Eve and that she benefited first of all and uniquely from Christ's victory over sin. She was preserved from all stain of original sin and by a special grace of God committed no sin of any kind during her whole life. This dogmatic teaching presented nothing new for the Catholic Church, as the perfect sinlessness of Mary had since apostolic times been taught by the fathers of the Church. For the rest of humanity, that is, conceived in original sin, each one must remember that the salvation God willed for Mary is the same salvation he wills for each one of us, and that is heaven for all eternity. So as we begin the new year on this great solemnity of Mary, Mother of God, which we celebrated yesterday to kick off the new year on January 1st, we are reminded to place God first in our lives. Huh? We must give him the glory as do the faith-filled shepherds when he is born. God watches over us and cares for us in our earthly needs by giving us the strength to endure bravely whatever may come our way. As baptized Christians, we must believe this wonderful truth and look to Mary, God's own mother, as our model of Christian maturity. We must renounce any attachment to sin and acknowledge that we truly, sincerely need God's help always and the help of his holy mother who wants to lead us to him. For it is not oneself, but rather God who in his goodwill toward you begets in you any measure of desire or achievement." to quote Philippians 2.13. So there you have it. Uh, Making our resolutions with Mary, especially by focusing on her prayerfulness, her fidelity, her energy, and her detachment from sin, her perfect sinlessness, of course, but for us that translates to detachment from sin, because she modeled all four of those so well, and so whether our New Year's resolution is something more temporal or something more spiritual in nature, we look to Mary to make us, uh, to guide us, I should say, to, be, to guide us to be more faithful through our own prayerfulness, fidelity, energy, and detachment from sin, which she exhibited so well. 
833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Grab one of these open phone lines at 833-288-3986. First up today is Lil, a first-time caller in Fort Wayne, Indiana, listening on the EWTN app. Lil, thanks for holding. You're on with Father Wade. Thank you. Um, I have a family member who was raised Christian in the family, and at about age 50, she turned away from Christ, and she went to her um, American heritage, American Indian heritage. She was half Indian, and she has practiced the American Indian religion. She's taught her children that, her grandchildren that, believes that Jesus is just a prophet. And when she, her husband died, there was an Indian funeral with the drums and the singing and the saying that he wouldn't, he'd have to be dead for a year before we could mention his name because he needed to rest before he came back. I don't feel comfortable when she dies going. Um, as a Catholic, I, I want to know where I stand with that. Okay, you certainly don't have to go to it, as you just stated yourself so well, but the Church would teach that you're welcome to go to it, because you're not going to it to convert yourself. You're going simply to offer suffrages for the dead, in this case, your deceased sister who fell away from the faith. And a lot of people, a lot of Catholics don't know this, uh, Lil, and so it's it's worth mentioning. Uh, Many Catholics may be surprised to learn that in actual fact, every Catholic, whether he or she practices their faith or not, has a right to a Catholic funeral when they die. So even though your sister uh, stayed away from the church all these years, let's say she made a request in the final breath of her life and said she wanted a Catholic funeral, even though she had never practiced the Catholic faith since her 50s, uh, the church would honor that and bury her. How beautiful is that? So this is another reason why you can go, because you know that the church herself, the Bride of Christ, would open the doors to your sister, if your sister wanted it upon her death, to have a Catholic funeral mass. The Code of Canon Law is very clear about that. So if the Church herself is willing to open the doors to offer suffrages for your dead sister's soul, uh, you certainly are welcome to do so as well. Uh, And obviously there's no threat of you going to the funeral to want to convert yourself to to the religion that she practiced, so there's nothing wrong there. Uh, You're simply wanting to go to pay respects for the dead, which, mind you, again... Uh, is is one of the spiritual works of mercy, to pray for the living and the dead, right? We have the 14 works of mercy, seven for the body called the corporal works of mercy, and seven for the, the soul called the spiritual works of mercy. The spiritual works of mercy, again, are to admonish the sinner, to instruct the ignorant, to counsel the doubtful, to comfort the sorrowful, to bear wrongs patiently, to forgive all injuries, and to pray for the living and the dead, which is what you would be doing if you went to her funeral. So the church would be willing to even open her doors, literally, to offer her a funeral mass. Uh, Canon law is very clear about that. Uh, You would be welcome to go to her funeral because the church would have her arms open. You're welcome to have your arms open to offer suffrages for your sister. Does that kind of help you out? It certainly does. Thank you very much. And I just might add, you know, again, many Catholics may be surprised to learn that in actual fact, uh, every Catholic, whether he or she practices his faith or not, has a right to a Catholic funeral when they die. Uh, Code of Canon Law number 1176, uh, paragraph 1, tells us this. The wording of this canon is very strong. Quote, the faithful must be given a church funeral according to the norms of the law. The grammar using the official Latin text of this canon couldn't be more forceful. Uh, so you don't have to be attending Mass 
regularly in order to be buried with the full Catholic funeral rites, okay? Now, it, we're saddened that your sister didn't request that before her death, uh, but that said, you're going to her funeral not to practice her, her religion that was non, non-Christian and non-Catholic, by that fact, uh, but you're going simply to offer suffrages for the dead. So God bless you, and what a great catechetical question. We really appreciate you calling and listening to Open Line Tuesday. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. We'd love to hear from you today at 833-288-3986. That's the number Phil used. He is in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, listening on the Amazon Echo. Phil, you're on with Father Wade Benezes. Hi, Father Wade. First time to um, talk to you, uh, and uh, always enjoy your uh, talks and homilies and everything. Well, uh, thanks, Phil. We, we appreciate that. Be sure to tune in next week to the morning Mass uh, at EWTN, the televised Mass. I'll, I'll be there from Monday through Saturday inclusive while the Friars are on their annual January uh, canonical retreat. Oh, great. I'm glad to hear that. It's been a while since you've um, been on that Mass, um, it seems. Um, the, um, my question was uh, about no, you know, novenas, and two in particular. One is the St. Andrew novena that uh, is prayed 15 times a day from November 30th through December 24th. And, you know, it, you know, I was just wondering, um, yeah, I guess about that is, you know, is there, a, you know, like, I mean, it's a, I guess a good thing to, you know, to try or is there, you know, a better way to do it, you know, to, cause there's a, sometimes it's like, it's a little daunting to try to, you know, pray that or to remember to pray that 15 times a day during like the season of Advent, um, my wife and I kept up with it, and it's something that her parents had taught her, and it was in our parish bulletin, you know, this year and stuff like that. But um, in the other novena, I guess, or I guess it could be a novena, it's like a prayer that a friend of my wife's had texted her and said, please share this with nine other people and, you know, and see what happens. It doesn't say that anything specifically good will happen, like you're going to hit the lottery or something, or it doesn't say that specifically if you don't do it, that something bad's going to happen, you know, like a a chain letter. But yeah. it's like, in a sense, it's a a chain form to, you know, like share it with nine other people. But I guess it, you know, I, I'm kind of thinking that the person who ever made this up had sort of a good intention of, well, you know, use that form, and you know you can spread the prayer around to nine, you know nine other people. But I'm just wondering, you know, um, yeah. my wife's a little daunted. It's like, can I think of nine people to send this to? It's like, you know. So anyway, um, what what are your thoughts on this? My thoughts would be that exactly where the Church is with this, that that a novena per se, whether it goes over nine days, which is the traditional form of a novena, or whether it's a one-day novena where the prayer is said nine times in one given day, or maybe three times each day for three days, because novena means nine, whatever its format is, and I just gave you three examples of format, here's the thing, it must not be superstitious in nature. For example, it must not tell you that you have to go deposit uh, uh, copies of the novena 
in nine separate pews in nine separate churches or, or whatever. You know, that, that's not the mind of the church. In fact, uh, paragraph 2111, 2111, talks about superstition in the Universal Catechism when we read this. Superstition is the deviation of religious feeling and of the practices this feeling imposes. It can even affect the worship we offer to the one true God. That is to say, when one attributes an importance in some way magical to certain practices, otherwise lawful or necessary, to attribute the efficacy of prayers or of sacramental signs to their mere external performance is superstitious in nature. Uh, it, it, apart from the interior dispositions that they demand, is to fall into superstition, right? Again, 2111 of the Catechism. So there's nothing wrong with the novena per se. You, you want to know how to safeguard yourself from what it is you're describing, ones that you found online or ones that you've received an email from Catholic sites or whatever, um, or, or from Catholic, not so much Catholic sites, but more like Catholic forums. That, that's where they're especially posted, is, is in Catholic forums. Not so much any reputable Catholic website wouldn't have it, uh, what you're describing, but more Catholic speaker forums do. Uh, get yourself a good uh, novena prayer book that has a litany of novenas in it. We'll come back and finish this up when we get back from the break. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. It's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Congratulations going out to a longtime member of the EWTN Radio family, Sacred Heart Radio in Cincinnati, Ohio, celebrating 23 years as an EWTN affiliate. They also partner with us on the Sunrise Morning Show. So congratulations to Bill Levitt, Anna Mitchell, Matt Swaim, Paul Lockman, and the whole team there at Sacred Heart Radio from your friends here at EWTN. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. couple comments from YouTube. Michael P. says that his spiritual resolution for 2024 is to be more consistent in praying the rosary on a daily basis. What, what a difference that would make if more of us would, would get involved in that. And Anna Marie says her resolution is to trust God and not worry. Sometimes she thinks she's trusting God, but her reaction to whatever trial isn't one that a child of God would have, and she resolves to fix that. We're talking to Phil in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Father Wade, about novenas. Yeah, so we want to be careful that our novenas, Phil, don't lead us into a type of superstition, right? A novena is simply the pious practice of praying for a particular intention nine times. Again, it can go over nine days. It could be in one day where the prayer is prayed nine times in one day. It could be three times a day the prayer is said over a course of three days, whatever. It is usually done with, with one prayer over a nine-day period, however. That's a true novena. That's the, the primary format that's the, of the mind of the Church, right? Uh, but it can be done in these other formats as well. Any formal, informal, or spontaneous prayer done in a set of nine times constitutes a novena, right? Uh, you may use a formal novena that is approved for devotional use, or you may put one together uh, through your own set of prayers for your own private use. Such would be a private novena, not a public novena. The only requirement is that the prayers not be said with the intention to manipulate an answer from God. 
There you have it. So that's a good way to put it, right? Uh, whatever they are, if they are said faithfully and with trust in God that he will answer your prayer in the manner that he wills to do so, uh, then the prayers of the novena are fine. So in short, you, you don't have to start over a, a novena just uh, because y- y- all of a sudden you feel manipulated by it. Just continue in a way that's non-manipulative manipulative in your prayers and supplications to God and just finish it up. Because you might have a person who starts a novena, and by day three or four they say, hey, this just doesn't sound right. And I think that's what kind of like what you were getting at, uh, Phil, and that's that was a good... Um, a good sense that you had about that. Phil, I'd like to, to recommend that you go to EWTNRC.com. They have a, a variety of wonderful novena books. Um, there's the Catholic Book of Novenas. Uh, there's the EWTN Pocket Book of Catholic Novenas. Um, there's a second Catholic book of novenas. That's a general one, not an EWTN one. Um, there's, a, from EWTNRC.com again, the Church's Most Powerful Novenas. And then, uh, fifthly, there's the Treasury of Novenas. So if you go to EWTNRC.com, to the homepage there, RC stands for Religious Catalog, EWTN Religious Catalog, EWTNRC.com. And on the search bar, just put in novenas or novena in the singular or novenas in the plural, and these five books will come up. Uh, I actually inputted uh, Catholic Book of Novenas, EWTNRC.com, and these came up right away. So, uh, Phil, I hope that helps you out. Great question. Another great catechetical question, one that, that focuses more on pious devotion rather than doctrine. Uh, but uh, it's still a very good one. And so thank you for listening to Open Line Tuesday today and for uh, calling in. Head next to the heartland of Canada. Barbara is a first-time caller in Manitoba listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Barbara, you're on with Father Wade. Well, Father, thank you for your wonderful talk. I am a medical doctor, and I tuned into the show on my way to the hospital. And uh, I came up with the resolution, so I'm going to share it. I am going to develop a closer relationship with the Blessed Mother uh, because I, <laughs> I believe that she is the mother of the unborn, the mother of the sick, and the mother of my dying patients, mm. many uh, of whom are tempted to, towards euthanasia, unfortunately. And I, my resolution, uh, and I thank you, Father Wade, for your uh, advice, is to follow your principles. And for me, because it's uh, a very busy life, it's going to be to say the rosary on the way to work and home. So Beautiful. I wanted to share that, and thank you so much uh, for your show. Well, you're very welcome, Barbara, and we thank you so much for calling in and giving your witness just now and for being an Open Line Tuesday listener on your way to work. We really appreciate that, and we hope that you tune in not only to Open Line Tuesday, but any of the other four Open Line shows that come on uh, every day at this hour. And so I'm the host for Tuesday, as you know, but uh, we appreciate very, very much your listenership. And again, uh, Mary's prayerfulness, her fidelity, her energy and her detachment from sin, her perfect sinlessness, our detachment from sin, but again, her prayerfulness, fidelity, energy, and detachment from sin are our guides to be faithful in 2024, to draw us more closely to her Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and to be faithful to those resolutions, whether temporal or spiritual. So Barbara, thank you so much for your great work in the medical field, in the health field. You know, whenever I'm in town, it doesn't matter what kind of store I'm in. It can be an auto parts store, it could be, you know, at a 
an ag dealer picking up stuff for the Fathers of Mercy here. It could be at a, at a, at a drug store. And if, whenever I see someone in their scrubs, I go up to them and I thank them for their work in health care that I am one who really appreciates their work in healthcare, and they'll see the collar and they'll say, well, I thank you for your work too, <laughs> you know. So, so <laughs> exactly, the, and thank the, you, Father. <laughs> so the, the body and soul composite, right? So, uh, but I do, I, I always give a thank you verbally uh, to those that I see in their scrubs. So thank you, Barbara, for a, a great call today, a great witness call. We appreciate it very much. You're welcome. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Next up is uh, Larry. He is in the great state of Wisconsin, listening on Real Presence Radio. Larry, you're on with Father Wade. Well, thank you. Uh, I'm very happy to talk with you, Father. Um, I am a lifelong Catholic. I used to live up in the area uh, in northeast Wisconsin uh, by Peshtigo, and I was oh. very aware of... What's that? I said, oh, yes, you're talking about Our Lady of Champion Shrine. Yes, and that's exactly what I wanted to talk with you about, Father. Um, I was um, I used to work as a wildland firefighter and a forester, and I was in, the, uh, in that area, and one of the old-timers... Uh, took me over and showed me some old stumps that were burnt out and that, and so that these were, you know, from the Festival Fire. As a Catholic, I was always taken with the story of the people processing around the little church and praying the rosary and the fire stopping right at the fence line uh, of that place. So I've told that story to different people when I was working in fire control, and I... Uh, I take, I've been taking my granddaughter to walk the, uh, the uh, pilgrimage from the shrine of our of the National Shrine of St. Joseph to Our Lady of Good Help. And I was surprised when I went with my granddaughter that the, that the site was being, that it was, the name was being changed uh, to Our Lady of Good Help. And I know that you are a member of the, of the um, the Fathers of Mercy, and that they administer that site. So I was hoping you could tell me what the process was, what sure. the meaning of, of that process was, and how does that uh, how does that relate to the whole rest of the church? I know that the Bishop of Green Bay had said that was worthy of belief. Yes, but now, uh, but now as. Our Lady of Champion. What does that all mean? Okay, great question. Fantastic question. And, and you're right. Uh, it is the only approved Marian apparition. I hope Barbara, who called just before you to give witness about her newfound Marian devotion as a medical doctor, I hope she's still listening because um, she might want to make a pilgrimage there to foster that devotion to our Blessed Mother. It is the only fully approved apparition site of the Blessed Virgin Mary in the United States period. It has full ecclesiastical approbation. It's, it means that, that it is now on an equal par as Lourdes or Fatima or Guadalupe, okay, Our Lady Guadalupe Shrine in, in Mexico City. Um, our listeners can find out more about Our Lady of Champion Shrine by simply going to championshrine.org, all lowercase, all one word, championshrine.org. And you're right, it was always referred to as Our Lady of Good Help, because the pilgrims saw her as an aide during the time of the Peshtigo fire, okay, which, which was 
one that caused catastrophic uh, uh, problems in, during it and in the aftermath of it. I mean, it took forever for the growth to even come back uh, because it was, everything was just so, so badly, badly charred. But the fire stopped at the, at the borderline of the, of the property of the chapel, which is today the shrine. Now, why did Bishop David Ricken change the name from Our Lady of Good Help to Our Lady of Champion? Well, he states why he did it in a letter that can be found at the website, championshrine.org, and it's for this reason. Because it now has full ecclesiastical approbation and is fully approved by him as the bishop, he wants it to be known in its official title, the shrine, he wants it to be known in its official title by location, by its location. Just like Our Lady of Lourdes is in Lourdes, France. Just like Our Lady of Fatima is in Fatima, Portugal. Just like uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe is in the Guadalupe region of, Me of Mexico City. Okay? Our Lady of La Salette, France, is another one. Um, he wants it to be known as the Shrine of Champion, Wisconsin, because that is the, the, the regional area of that part of rural Wisconsin, little town of Champion, is where the shrine is located. And so he wants it to be recognized as such like these other great international shrines. She still has the subsidiary title, if you will, uh, as Our Lady of Good Help, Okay, but uh, it's officially known as Our Lady of Champion precisely because of location and because he's given it full approval now, the apparitions are deemed worthy of belief and of supernatural origin. Um, one can go there as, as an official pilgrim to an official national shrine, in this case of the United States, and the only fully approved Marian apparition site in the United States. And every year between October 7th and 9th, they, they honor the apparitions of Our Lady. They also recall the anniversary of the Peshigo fire. And throughout the night, on the hour, for the entire night, on the hour, the five decades of the Rosary are prayed in continuum and in circular fashion. And, and while the pilgrims go around the beautiful rosary walk there on the grounds behind the chapel. So a shout out to my three Fathers of Mercy confrères who are stationed there, Father Joseph Itona, uh, who was in town yesterday here in Auburn, Kentucky for Brother Zachary's perpetual vows. Father Joseph Itona is the rector of the shrine and Father Thomas Reagan and Father Michael French. Uh, our associates there at the shrine with Father Itona. So we have three Fathers of Mercy there. And so great question about the shrine, great question why the name changed this last year. And by the way, uh, this past October of 2023, just two months ago, was the inaugural mass of that feast of Our Lady of Champion, which in the Diocese of Green Bay proper is celebrated as a solemnity, not on the national calendar, at least not yet, but it could be one day because it's a national shrine. But for the Diocese of Green Bay, it is celebrated as a solemnity, uh, and it's colloquially known as the Feast Day of Our Lady of Champion. And this past October was the first uh, time that that Mass was celebrated under that title. So does that kind of help you out there with, with some of the questions you had? Uh, yes, it does very much. Thank you. I you're most welcome, and and God bless you, and and go there again. I, I'm always talking about the shrine of Our Lady of Champion uh, on my mission travels when I'm preaching week long parish missions or weekend retreats. So many uh, Catholic Americans, so many American Catholics don't know that this is a fully approved apparition site. You know, when Bishop Ricken came on board as the Bishop of Green Bay, I don't know the exact number of years ago that was, but I'd say at least ten or twelve years ago, he made it a top priority, an absolute top priority when he came 
came into office to study the apparitions because the people were still coming in droves to visit there. He says, there's got to be something here, and I'm going to put together a committee of clerics, laymen and women, psychologists, uh, mariologists, uh, and I'm going to put them all together in a committee and have them examine the three appar- apparitions to Sister Adele Bryce or Adele Brees that Adele claims our Blessed Mother appeared to her and, and said, catechize the children, teach them the faith, and never lose hope. And uh, these were the, the three main messages of Our Lady of Champion, Our Lady of Good Help, if you will. And uh, so he put this committee together, and they, after a, a several years of analyzing everything about it, including the miracles that purportedly took place there, um, including the miracles that families had written about that had taken place there of a loved one. And you can see the, you know, some of the uh, crutches hanging there on the wall in the lower crypt uh, uh, chapel, or, or more properly called an oratory. It's not a chapel, but the lower crypt, uh, which is where the apparition actually took place. And uh, the, it's called an oratory. You can pray down there, but the chapel is the main church on the upper floor. You can see the crutches there hanging on the wall in the oratory. And uh, the committee took into uh, study all of these things, all of these things, and they reported back to Bishop Ricken, yes, we believe there's something definitely here. And then he judged the committee's work on the apparition itself, the apparitions themselves, and there were three of them, uh, to be worthy of belief. So again, championshrine.org, it's a fantastic website. Um, they even have a section there that describes the three apparitions in detail, and also Bishop Ricken's letter, his diocesan letter, explaining why he changed the title officially from Our Lady of Good Help to Our Lady of Champion, that is to say, Champion, Wisconsin. Thank you so much for a great uh, question, Larry. We really appreciate your listenership on Open Line Tuesday. In 2024, Bishop Ricken will celebrate his 16th anniversary uh, in Green Bay. Okay, so even more than 12. I thought maybe 10 or 12, but yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I know he's been there a while. Tommy is in Pensacola, Florida, listening on Guadalupe Radio today. Tommy, you're on with Father Wade. Yes, uh, thank you. Uh, My question is, is the Catholic Church only an organism, or is it both an organism and an organization? And my argument would be, that since the family is the part of the domestic church, then the family would also be uh, both an organization and an organism if the Catholic Church is that. Yeah, great question, Tommy. We really appreciate your call today on Open Line Tuesday. Uh, We can say that insofar as she's the Bride of Christ founded by him, uh, she is a living organism. You know, she's ever new, ever ancient, ever new, right? And uh, so we can say that in regards to her growth of her membership, okay, for example, the beautiful Easter Vigil every year, the mother of all vigils, it's called, that welcomes in the new catechumens, whether they need uh, baptism, confirmation, and Eucharist, all three sacraments of initiation, or whether their prior baptism in a Protestant uh, ecclesial community is accepted, and so at the Easter Vigil they only need confirmation and Holy Communion, the Eucharist, regardless, uh, her growth in membership every year, right? 
uh, at the Easter Vigil, and at other times of the year, if, if a pastor takes in a new member uh, outside of the Easter Vigil, which a pastor is welcome to do, um, we see her growing, we see her uh, alive, we see her in her councils, for example, her teachings that are promulgated. Uh, we see that she's an organism, but she's also an organization, insofar as she's an organized uh, excuse me, an organization with a head and members, which organizations have. In fact, St. Thomas Aquinas teaches that uh, a, a body without a head is a monster. An organization uh, without a head will not do its work. And so we see her both as a living organism, as the bride of Christ, which he founded, ever ancient, ever new, but we also see her as an organization with a structural hierarchy uh, of membership and of leadership that leads her in her goals and in her teaching. So great question. Thank you so much. Your, your question borders on ecclesiology, uh, the study of the church. And so we've had some great questions today from our Open Line Tuesday listeners that have been doctrinal, that have been devotional or pious, and that have also now been, thanks to you, uh, Tommy, that have been ecclesial in nature. So we thank, th- we thank our listeners, Jack, for this great variety of questions on Open Line Tuesday. I want to bring your attention to the Honest to God podcast. It engages listeners with with open, honest conversations, offering a Catholic perspective to inspire young adults to take another step on their faith journey towards Jesus. On their most recent episode, Jim Campbell talks about porn addiction, a great scourge in our society, Eastern religion, and his own personal conversion. You can hear Honest to God as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates around the world, all in one place all free at EWTN's Podcast Central. Simply visit EWTN.com slash radio and click on Podcast Central today. Kathy is in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, She is listening on Spirit Catholic Radio today. Kathy, you're on with Father Wade. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Um, Just very quickly, um, my youngest son is estranged from me. He has been for um, about eight and a half years. He used to be very Catholic and is now atheist because his girlfriend is atheist. Um, years ago, I have a vintage stone stove that I inherited 30 years ago from my grandmother. I still have it. I still use it. And um, he loved to cook on it, and I told him at one time that he could have it when I was done with it. Um, my other son at that time was completely out of the family, so, you know. Anyway, um, my, my son, since he's become estranged from me, they, both of them have done some pretty awful things to me, including, like, making a donation to Planned Parenthood in my honor, because they know how pro-life I am. So my question is this. My husband and I recently uh, did our will, and I decided to exclude him from my will, uh, because I'm, number one, I don't think that his girlfriend would honor anything, um, you know, like a family heirloom like that. Am I required morally, since I told him he could have it? I didn't promise it to him, but I did say that he could have it when I was done with it. Am I morally required to give it to him or put put him back in the will? No, there would be no church teaching in that regard. You're welcome to do what you want. Even if you had made a prior comment to him that you would give it to him, um, when uh, when things were better in your relationship with him, you're by no means required to honor that, especially when some things have transpired, like the... uh, like the donation made to Planned Parenthood in your name, uh, which is so unfortunate that he did that. Uh, you know, you're welcome to do what you want to do with your will. That said, I might add you. I might offer you this advice: you might want to put somewhere that you change your mind regarding that artifact, so that he himself doesn't try to fight 
against it when he discovers he, it was not left to him because he could always come back and say, mom told me verbally one time it was mine. And, and indeed, he's telling the truth, right? Because you did say that one time. Uh, so he wouldn't be lying if he came back and, and fought for that artifact um, that wasn't left him in the will. So you might want to just simply put in the will by name of the artifact that it's not his. And that's, I'm not telling you what to do with your will. That's not my place to do that. And I won't do that. I'm just telling you how you might want to better cover the situation uh, on your end. Great question, Kathy. Thank you so much for your call uh, from Omaha, Nebraska. Next stop is the Republic of Texas. Danny is in El Paso listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Danny, you're on with Father Wade. Hello, Father Wade. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, I hope somebody, I tuned in a little bit late, and I hope no one's already asked this question. Um, my kids and I were having a discussion this morning about uh, papal infallibility. And honestly, I cannot. Um, I know there have been some controversial popes in history, and I just wondered exactly what it does and does not mean so that I can explain it to my kids, understand it myself, and anyone that comes across and asks that question, uh, feel free to explain it to me like I'm a six-year-old. I have no pride in that respect. I really want to understand it, and I guess I really don't if I can't explain it to anyone. Yeah, great, great question. And here's here's another question uh, that borders not only on uh, doctrine itself, but also on ecclesiology, uh, the, the nature and study of the church. So, uh, you're asking about papal infallibility. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit to the church, whereby the pastors of the church, the Pope, and bishops in union with him, can definitively proclaim a doctrine of faith or morals for the belief of the faithful, and the faithful have the absolute certitude that it is not in error. Okay, so there've only been a few of these throughout the history of the Church. Uh, The Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary, uh, the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary, right? They're implicitly in Scripture. They can be reasoned to. They've been held since time immemorial in the early Church, like I talked about Mary's Immaculate Conception today in my springboard topic of the the first 10 minutes or so of the show, when we started at the top of the hour. Uh, And then we came back and we finished talking about uh, her sinlessness and how that's rooted in the, the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception. So again, infallibility, what we call papal infallibility, or the infallibility, infallibility of, of the papal office, is the gift of the Holy Spirit to the Church, okay, to, to the body of the Church in her fullness, whereby the pastors of the Church, the Pope and the bishops in union with him, can definitively proclaim a doctrine of the faith uh, or a doctrine of morals for belief of the faithful, and the faithful having the certitude that it is not in error. It is free of error. This gift is related to the inability of the whole body of the faithful to err in matters of faith and morals as well. So I want to direct you to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, number 891 and number 92, just to begin with. But there's a larger section in the 890s that talks more about it in general. But what I just read to you was simply out of the glossary, regarding papal infallibility of the Universal Catechism. So go to the 890s, especially 890, 891, and read those sections there. Great question, and it it hasn't been practiced a lot in the 2,000-year history of the Church. Father Wade, would you leave us with a blessing? I certainly will, Jack. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of our Open Line Tuesday listeners and remain with each and every one of you this day and always. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. Pray for us on behalf of our host, Father Wade Menezes, our producer, Charles Beery, call screener Matt Kubensky and our social media maven, 
Mr. Jeff Burson, I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line Tuesday. Back at it tomorrow with Father Mitch Pacwa on EWTN's Open Line Wednesday. Until we get together then, God bless.